how did I not hit record? Will you just come do that whole thing again? <laughs> um, I even turned it on. Oh. Um, how we are um, formalizing uh, and being a little bit more intentional about uh, the things that are, uh, are shaping us week to week. And uh, I, I, I know you, well, those of you who are in here, um, the first week of, of this semester's class heard me share about um, my own sense of what's happening uh, in my generation and the generations coming up that need a bit more structure, a whole lot more structure and, um, and wisdom and, and uh, this hopefully is a way of maybe planting seeds and giving some direction. Uh, but as Sally so rightly said, this is, this is not something uh, completely new. It's just a bit more formalized. So let's, uh, let's open, if, if you have a sheet uh, next to you, um, the way that um, morning prayer often opens. Uh, and uh, I have found great comfort in confessing this and knowing that my brothers and sisters across uh, centuries and the continents are confessing something similarly. I'm not alone in this. So let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. So, Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. So we'll read, uh, we'll start with Psalm 72. You can listen or you can um, follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. Uh, Psalm 72 seems to have been a psalm that was uh, perhaps sung at the inauguration for a new king. Uh, And you see this as a, um, like the hope. This is what the king should be like. Um, I think one of the ways that the psalms can shape us is that they, they help to orient our hearts. These, these prayers, these songs, uh, can become our own songs. Uh, and so as I, as I read this psalm, um, think about how this might be shaping what we long for, uh, particularly as we are longing for the king to come and establish his justice. And so you'll hear this language of justice and righteousness, uh, and then later towards the bottom of peace. Uh, and so in, a, uh, in our lives, sometimes our hearts can, can begin to long for that which is not ultimately worthy of our heart's longing. And so the Psalms help, uh, can help kind of readjust our hearts. Um, so listen, pray along, and uh, seek for this to be the longing of your heart as well. Give the King your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the King's Son, that he may rule your people righteously and the poor with justice, that the mountains may bring prosperity to the people and the little hills bring righteousness. 
He shall defend the needy among the people. He shall rescue the poor and crush the oppressor. He shall live as long as the sun and the moon endure from one generation to another. He shall come down like rain upon the mown field, like showers that water the earth. In his time shall the righteous flourish, and there shall be abundance of peace, shalom, till the moon shall be no more. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous deeds, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And may all the earth be filled with his glory. Amen. So that is Psalm 72, <clears throat> helping shape our longing, our longing for the true king to come and establish justice and righteousness. And then when we move to Isaiah 11, uh, it gives us a picture of what this king might look like, the kind of king that we need. This seems to be a messianic text. And so as I read, I will offer a few comments along the way. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse. Jesse is King David's father. So this has this kind of messianic uh, expectation. The rightful king. A branch shall grow out of his roots. So what will this king be like? This king that we desperately need? The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Let me pause here and read from Proverbs 8, this, um, this description of wisdom. And notice how the description of wisdom uh, is describing the kind of things that the king uh, will have. I, wisdom, live with prudence, and I attain knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. But I have good advice and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. How desperately in the season of Advent, as we're uh, learning and remembering what we need, how desperately we, desperately we need the world ruled by one who embodies and embraces wisdom. True wisdom from God. Now moving on to verse 3 in Isaiah 11. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. And I think this is saying he's not going to judge by appearances. He's not going to give priority to those with power and status in that society. Instead, verse 4, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This is Isaiah 11. Here Isaiah 10, recognizing the brokenness of the world, seeing that things are done differently. Ah, you who make iniquitous decrees, who write oppressive statutes to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be your spoil. <laughs> and that you may make the orphans your prey. The chapter before this is um, God or the prophet is naming the brokenness of the world. 
And this chapter is looking forward to the Messiah bringing justice. Or in verse 4, He shall strike the earth with the rod of His mouth, which might be a way of referring to His just legislation. And with the breath of His lips, He shall kill the wicked. This might make us uncomfortable, but part of the reason we read broadly uh, in the liturgy is because sometimes uh, things that we want to avoid, uh, we are unable to avoid. Uh, and what we will hear today is this sense of the justice of the king will mean that some will be called to account, and you do not want to be on the wrong side of the king. You do not want to side be on the side of those who oppress the vulnerable. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. And the wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the, and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the viper and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. This represents Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the temple where God's rule is supposed to be realized. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is echoing what we read last week from the second chapter of Isaiah. On that day, the root of Jesse, the Messiah, shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. So once again, as is appropriate in this Advent season, we will sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as we do, we might imagine how we are joining ancient Israel, our ancestors in the faith, voicing our longing for Emmanuel to come and set things right. Lauren? O come, O As we move into Romans, Paul is here concluding his letter to the church in Rome, a church that seems to be made up of Jews and Gentiles, and they are trying to figure out how they might be in community together. Uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, this was not an easy thing to make sense of. Uh, the Jews often thought of themselves as a separate people, and their law often pointed them in that direction, uh, but the prophets and even the law itself uh, foresaw a time when the nations would come to Israel. Um, and this is happening in the first century. Uh, but even though this is good news, it's not always clear uh, how they might navigate the kind of messiness of this community of Jews and Gentiles together. And so we pick up in Romans 15, starting in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days 
was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. When Paul is speaking of scriptures, he is talking about what we refer to as the Old Testament. This is ongoing nourishment for the church. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not separately, we're going to just agree to disagree and live in our own kind of separate uh, places, but there is this powerful um, witness when people of different cultures come together under the one Messiah, the one who reshapes our priorities and our values, and that we ultimately give our allegiance to. The kind of allegiance that breaks down uh, ethnic barriers. No more Jew or Gentile. Social barriers. No more slave or free or gender barriers. No more male and female. Not because those things cease to exist, but because while they continue to exist, they are no longer barriers to unity. That is part of the beauty. It is not just this uh, unison, uh, but it is unity with diversity that testifies to the powerful work that Jesus has accomplished. Verse 7, Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So Paul's saying this was from the beginning. God's covenant with Abraham, with the patriarchs, uh, has in mind that he would use Abraham's descendants to bless the nations. And it's happening. It's happening in powerful and profound ways because of what Christ has done. And verse 9, In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And here Paul brings together several verses uh, that testify to this. Therefore I, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So this reference to the Gentiles, and uh, he is quoting from Psalm 18 first, and Deuteronomy 32 second. And in both of these, there is this victory that is being celebrated. Uh, as the psalmist or Moses are calling for celebration. And as is typical, as the New Testament reads the Old Testament, it's not just saying, oh, here were some predictions, but rather what God was doing back then is finding its fullness now. There was this kind of initial place to celebrate, but now there is even greater reason to celebrate for the Gentiles to take part in this party. Verse 11, again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. This is from Psalm 117.1, and the second verse of this, why might all peoples praise him? For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Now, we take for granted that Gentiles are brought into this new covenant. Um, but if you remember last week, one of the things that Paul seems to invite we Gentiles to do is to remember that we were once outside of the covenant, and we have been brought into the covenant because of Christ. Uh, as an Advent is a perfect time to remember our past, uh, to see our desperate longing for Christ to come and bring us in a special way into the people of God. Verse 12 here brings us back to the reading in Isaiah that we just had. Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. 
In him the Gentiles shall hope. Uh, And Paul seems to paraphrase a little bit here when he uses the word rises, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. And it's like he's bringing this play on words because that's the word for resurrection. Uh, So yes, he rises in one sense, but in another, he has resurrected. And as the resurrected one, he can rule the Gentiles and bring hope to them, which is hope for us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. There's that that powerful term, peace, uh, shalom. This is that fullness of restoration that one longs for. Uh, Not just this kind of inner disposition, uh, but peace is something that is uh, outward as well. It's felt throughout the society, not just in one spirit. So that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, So we have this kind of beautiful expectation. And now Matthew 3, and here we'll slow down the most. um, In part because I know the gospel is better than anything else. So uh, it's... (laughs) Just playing to my strengths. Um, No one pays me for this, so uh, you can't complain. (laughs) Matthew 3, uh, this is the the introduction to Jesus' ministry. Uh, We um, have the genealogy of Jesus in chapter 1, and then uh, the kind of fleeing from Herod, uh, and now we get John the Baptist. And I thought it might be a little interesting uh, to be reminded that when we're reading the Gospels, these things really happen. This isn't, we like the language of story, and I think story's good because it's inviting, uh, but this isn't story in the sense that it's fiction. And so one of the neat ways to see that is to see how some of these characters, like John the Baptist, show up in other historical accounts. In this case, the first century historian Josephus describes John the Baptist. But to some of the Jews, the destruction of Herod's army seemed to be divine vengeance for his treatment of John, surnamed the Baptist. For Herod had put John to death, again I'm reading from Josephus here, though he was a good man and had exhorted the Jews to lead righteous lives, to practice justice toward their fellows and piety towards God, and so doing to join in baptism. In his view, this was a necessary preliminary if baptism was to be acceptable to God. When others too joined the crowds about him, because they were aroused to the highest degree by John's sermons, Herod became alarmed. Eloquence that had so great an effect on people might lead to some form of sedition, for it looked as if they would be guided by John in everything that he did. Herod decided, therefore, that it would be much better to strike first and be rid of him before his work led to an uprising than to wait for an upheaval, get involved in a difficult situation, and see his mistake." Though John, because of Herod's suspicions, was brought in chains uh, the strong, to the stronghold that we have previously mentioned, and there put to death, yet the verdict of the Jews was that the destruction of Herod's army was a vindication of John, since God saw fit to inflict such a blow on Herod. So, now not everything Josephus says is accurate. Um, however, uh, that John shows up, he made such an impression in the ancient world that he shows up in Josephus. It's just another reminder that this is story, but more than a story. It's also history. So in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea. Um, this is an important setting, maybe in a couple ways. The wilderness can represent a place of withdrawal or refuge. It might even be a kind of critique on the way things are going um, and, and kind of the, the, 
the metropolitan areas. So withdrawal from Jerusalem might be a critique of what's <coughs> happening in Jerusalem. You think about how uh, in the, the first few centuries or the, um, of the church, uh, especially after Constantine, there might be this withdrawal to the monasteries uh, uh, with a critique there of what was going on in the church. So you have this withdrawal, and also the wilderness is a place that prepares that prepared Israelites for exodus. And we are being prepared for a new exodus, a new kind of deliverance. Uh, so we have the wilderness here. And what's he proclaiming? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Uh, when we hear repent, we've got to hear this, not as feel really bad, uh, but repent is a, is a call to reorient yourself, to return, to be oriented around the purposes of God. Uh, as one, um, one scholar puts it, it's a change of mind, will, and character in accordance with God's purposes. So uh, when John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is drawn near, he's not saying feel bad, but he's saying the kingdom of God is breaking into the world and you need to align your lives accordingly. Yes, this is good news, but it's not good news if you're on the wrong side of things. Uh, so even here in Advent, where we're excited about the coming of the king, it is also a calling for us to repent, to align our lives according to the kingdom of heaven. What does the kingdom of heaven mean? Um, it's the rule or the reign of God. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the will of God being accomplished. And so when John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, uh, he's saying, align your lives accordingly because you would be foolish not to. This, verse 3, this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What's fascinating about this, only in chapter 3 of Matthew, is he's quoting from Isaiah. And when Isaiah says, make a way, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, the Lord in Isaiah is the Lord God of Israel. And here it is very clearly the Lord Jesus. So uh, we are seeing Jesus' divinity uh, in this claim. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Um, so this might seem uh, kind of a strange, uh, strange thing for him to be wearing. Uh, maybe he was a hipster. Um, <laughs> more likely, uh, this is the description of Elijah. Uh, and when Elijah is described this way, this is 2 Kings 1, Elijah, um, uh, one of the kings, I can't remember who it is, uh, King Ahaziah, uh, has fallen, he's hurt himself, and so he sends his, someone to go ask of the prophets of Baal, am I going to recover? Elijah hears this and says, what are you doing going to Baal? You will never recover. Uh, and so Ahaziah uh, hears this and he's like, what prophet told you this? And they say, uh, he's wearing camel's hair and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so as, as we're hearkening back to Elijah, uh, Elijah speaking uh, this prophecy of judgment. Uh, when we hear John in the same way, we can hear maybe this prophecy of, uh, or this, this prophetic word to repent, to align your lives according uh, to um, what God is going to be doing. Plus, at the end uh, of some of the prophetic books in Malachi 4, there's this expectation that Elijah will return. And John is seen as that Elijah figure, the one who returns before the great day of the Lord. 
Uh, and just like we've been seeing, the great day of the Lord is good news and bad news, depending on which side you have aligned your life with. Uh, if you want to read more on that, uh, that is Malachi 4, 1 through 6. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Uh, as I understand it, in the ancient world, there were certain kind of ritual washings. Uh, there were recurring things you might do on a regular basis as a form of ritual cleansing. Um, or there might be this one-time kind of baptism for Gentiles who wanted to be proselytes, so kind of becoming Jews. But what John is doing is something distinct. It's neither this recurring ritual washing, nor is it Gentile baptism. It's this one-time thing for the Jews, not the Gentiles. It's like he's saying, you all have, have gotten out of step with the way of God. Uh, and it requires a drastic shift uh, to get aligned with the kingdom of God. Um, and he's doing it at the Jordan River. This is the river where people crossed, the Israelites crossed to enter the promised land. And a greater promised land is about to be entered into uh, when Jesus comes and establishes the kingdom of God. But, verse 7, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, he does not mince words here. Uh, what makes John, and it seems to me what makes the prophets, and what makes Jesus most furious is those who are religious leaders and religious uh, influencers uh, who use their power to turn people away from God or who use their power to give a distorted view of God. Um, and so they get uh, the, uh, the kind of worse attention. Uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees, strangely enough, are often not aligned. Um, and uh, the, the Sadducees might be seen as the kind of uh, wealthy elite uh, and the Pharisees might uh, have seemed to be more of this kind of super pure, uh, legalistic um, sect. And so often they clash, but here they are seen together, and they are both called out. And for me, I think if John were to speak today, he might call out both, um, yeah, he might call out the uh, extreme right uh, who, have, um, who have confused uh, the... Um, the kingdom of God uh, with uh, certain uh, ultra right wing politics and um, and fundamentalist convictions, and he might call out uh, the left as well, uh, who have become so wishy washy on what it means to confess uh, God and Jesus as His Son that it's become almost meaningless. Uh, and I think, uh, although these two sides might think of themselves as a separate of the, as the Pharisees and Sadducees because both are misrepresenting the kingdom of God and therefore misrepresenting God and leading people astray, uh, both might be called out. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Uh, so don't rely on on your parents' faith. Don't rely on your ancestry uh, or your nationality or whatever it might be. What matters is sincerity, embodied faithfulness, because to confess Jesus as king is to confess loyalty. This is not uh, like saying, oh, I believe you're a king. It's, 
like a, an oath of loyalty, a fealty. You are my king, you have my life. It's not saying you have to be perfect, but it is about sincere devotion to the king. Not just words, but embodied faithfulness. As uh, some people have said, God has no grandchildren. Abraham, this rock that they might be hewn from, can be uh, referring or kind of echoing Isaiah 51. Uh, Abraham is the rock from which you were hewn. And in that context, if, if you, all these, all these little echoes um, that you get in Matthew and the Gospel or and, and the New Testament, um, draw our attention to the richness of the Old Testament. Remember, Paul said this, things were written for us. Um, and even in that context, it's anticipating God setting things right. But even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. This is menial labor. Um, the, that typically, uh, as I understand it, uh, rabbis had disciples, and disciples were like their servants. But you can even find uh, Mishnah teaching of, yes, they're like your servants, but you would never ask them to remove your sandals with all the fill and the crud on them from walking these nasty streets. You wouldn't ask your disciple, who is supposed to be like your servant, to do something uh, so menial. And John's saying, I couldn't even do the thing that rabbis wouldn't let their disciples do because of who he is. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, and fire is this great analogy that's capturing what we've been saying here um, in that uh, fire can both purify, it's a good thing, and it can destroy, uh, depending on the material. And this is a continuous calling to align ourselves accordingly. Um, and so we might hear in this baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit uh, an echo from Ezekiel 36. And I'll read this to you, and then we will um, bring this more to a close. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them, and the nation shall know that I am the Lord, when through you I display my holiness before their eyes. Uh, we might hear this speaking to us as well. We must not take ourselves so seriously as though we were so great. Uh, God makes his name great because of his mercy, not because of our uh, inherent uh, wondrousness. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances." As, as Advent is ideally shaping our hearts, shaping what we long for, uh, maybe in this season when we have so much busyness, so many things uh, clamoring for our attention and our love, uh, may we be reminded uh, that what we ultimately need is a new heart, a new spirit to replace the heart of stone. 
that Jesus might put his spirit within us so that we might follow his statutes and be careful to observe his ordinances. Um, if Lauren would one more time uh, lead us in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as we pray that Emmanuel might come and finish this work of changing our hearts and lives and societies. O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God be done in just three or four minutes. I know we're going a bit long because we started late, so if you need to go, I won't judge you <coughs> much. Um, <laughs> let us confess the Apostles' Creed together. Uh, it is this confession um, that, that helps center our hope, that makes Advent make sense. Um, so, confess with me, please. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now if you'll pray the Lord's Prayer with me, and we'll use the traditional language. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I will close by praying this prayer over you. Uh, the wisdom of uh, many churches is that this is the prayer for the week. So I would encourage you to uh, take this with you and stick it on your uh, mirror and pray it throughout the week. Uh, it's capturing what we've covered today. Uh, as we think about uh, the Messiah, our need for the Messiah. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.